0: Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of The Journal. In this episode, I'll be talking to Jill Hambly and Matt Connell. this episode of the podcast, we're talking about what the Financial Conduct Authority's consumer duty means for insurers and financial planning professionals. We're joined by Jill Hambly, Managing Director of Insurance Compliance Services, and Matt Connell, Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the CII and PFS. Here's my conversation with Jill and Matt. Hello, Jill, and hello, Matt, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hi. Thanks for having
1: us. Good to be here.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much for speaking to us today. It's a real pleasure. So, Matt, if we could uh, start with you, perhaps. The Financial Conduct Authority has confirmed its plans to bring in the new consumer duty, which it says will fundamentally improve how firms serve customers. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what the consumer duty is and and what firms need to know?
2: Yeah. So, I I think the first thing to say is the consumer duty wasn't really necessarily invented by the FCA. It was actually the Financial Services Consumer Panel that started lobbying uh, a few years ago for what they called. Uh, a duty of care to consumers. uh, And they wanted that in in primary legislation. Uh, And and their argument was that that treating customers fairly didn't really make firms face up to conflicts of interest early on enough. uh, And and that firms or some firms had a a kind of wait and see attitude to to, to regulation. They waited to see if the FCA sort of enforced certain rules um, before really thinking carefully about complying with them. Um, And so the FCA took that and sort of looked at, uh, at what a, a duty of care really meant because there are there are already, as you know, lots of lots of rules and regulations in place already, and things like insurance distribution directive uh, requires firms to, to, to act in a customer's best interests. Um, so the FCA sort of said, well, what, what can we do that's new that's that's different from before? Uh, and, and what the FCA has done is it's it's focused not so much on, on producing new new rules, um, but more on, on focusing on, on outcomes. Um, outcomes, outcomes in, in areas like um, what they call price and, and value uh, outcomes in terms of customer service. So making sure that uh, if people want to switch products, for example, that they can switch products um, easily uh, and, and in areas like product design uh, and, and communication with customers. And what the FCA said is um, it's going it's going to supervise not so much according to firms sort of ticking off a list of actions and saying, okay, we've done all that's expected of us, um, we don't need to do anything else, um, but more going along this outcomes route uh, and, and measuring firms compliance by by how carefully they're, they're making sure that these these outcomes come about. And Jill, from a, an
0: insurer's point of view, what does the insurance profession need to do to begin to prepare to meet the regulator's new requirements?
1: Is quite interesting look really and and matt's uh, right in terms of obviously focusing on outcomes and that obviously brings its challenges for firms because quite a number of firms are embedded in the ways of, of doing things in the way that they've, they've always done and, and trying to to just take that word outcome and, and identify what that actually means in terms of what they have to do i think is, is is quite a challenge i think what the fca has done is they've moved the dial really from saying Well, customers are treated fairly, which was and is still the existing principle, but moved it towards, well, instead of how they're treated, what have they actually experienced and how do you measure that they've experienced a good outcome and i think that's going to be you know that and the data collection elements of it are, are going to be might be quite a, a challenge my answer in in relation to what actions do they have to take i think is quite detailed so you have to stick with me here and i'll try make it as simple as i possibly can but i mean obviously the industry's experienced significant regulatory change in recent years and it doesn't seem to be abating there's there's more things you know on the the radar at the moment, things that are coming down the track. So I think you know, in terms of of how they manage it, it's it's change management really that that's key, and and the industry itself, particularly perhaps on the intermediary side. And I've I've worked with mortgage brokers, um, insurance intermediaries, and financial services firms, and you know. Evidencing the actions that they've taken has always been the biggest challenge um, alongside you know the data collection but of, of the four outcomes uh, that the FCA is looking to, to achieve out of this, insurers themselves and distributors should be a good way down the road in relation to the product governance outcomes and and should have worked out how to meet the the price and and value requirements because that deadline is is not that far away. It's the end of September. So we should be seeing a lot of work that they've done uh, already, albeit there's evidence that they are a bit behind. The government, the governance requirements though are, are not just limited to products. So the outcome about governance of products and services means that they've got to make sure that they have those governance procedures in relation to their services as, as well as their, their products. Um, insurers perhaps have a long-standing focus on the quality of their communications, but all firms will still need to test whether their communications were understood. In the way that they were intended, and I think a lot of firms, particularly the intermediary side, albeit maybe don't do a significant number of, of financial communication, financial promotion communications. They don't. They don't probably test afterwards how how well they've been received. Um, and there are quite some detailed aspects to the outcomes in terms of what the FCA is looking for in that regard, which should help them hopefully a little bit better all parts of the customer journey are affected. Um, So firms have obviously got to plan and engage with all areas of their business, which we'll we'll touch on um, later, but specifically need to look at the support their customers need. Be quite granular and not just say a one-size-fits-all approach, and particularly when we talk about vulnerable customers later, thinking about different types of customers that they might have and how they actually target the communication to meet the specific needs of, of those customers and um, obviously support them in a way that takes those needs into account as Matt said not having processes with unreasonable barriers so that people can't do the things um, that they really want to do so so quite significant work I think to be honest in terms of all of those outcomes that they've got to meet.
0: Yes, there's certainly a lot for insurers to consider, Jill. Matt, will the new consumer duty similarly have that kind of impact on financial planning professionals, or are are there different aspects that advisors need to to consider?
2: Yeah, I think think, um, the consumer duty will manifest itself differently for, for different sectors. Um, so if we look at, at financial planning professionals, they already have an enormous amount of, 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 of responsibility. You know, they, they give advice to their clients. Um, their clients, um, you know, for long-term investments, their clients might come back many years later um, with a, with a, with a complaint about the advice. And, you know, sometimes non-regulated products, if they if the advice is given in, in the context of alongside regulated products, then sometimes sometimes Sometimes, uh, uh, advice on non-regulated products might might come into the the, the FCA parameter, um, and and, and complaints are often adjudicated by the ombudsman, uh, and the ombudsman doesn't necessarily need to look at exactly what was the the laws or the the rules, they can go with what they feel is, is naturally fair as well. So, in many ways, advisors have the most demanding regulatory regime Possibly of of any market in, in in the world, you could you could make that case. So so again, uh, for, for for I think for for professional advisors who are who are doing everything uh, that's required of them under the current regulations, that um, they'll be very very close to to already complying with the with the consumer duty. Um, but nevertheless, there are areas that the FCA has looked at in, in financial planning where. Where, where it would like advisors for example in the, in the, in the communications outcome uh, the fcas measured consumer understanding client understanding uh, of how much they pay their advisors in fees and and what service they get in return and that's that's quite a difficult one because a lot of clients might say well you know my, my funds are growing my portfolio is growing um, i'm very happy with that um, i know my advisors looking out for me um, i'm able to talk about my financial goals with them uh, in a very uh, kind of um open way. Um, I, I trust my advisor implicitly. So why do I need to to be, you know, kind of bean counting about, you know, exactly how much the advisor's getting paid when when my fund is growing. But but nevertheless, the, the FCA um wants or expects clients to, to understand how much they're paying specifically for advice and what kind of uh, what what kind of service they they're getting in return you know is it um, a kind of meeting once a year is it you know kind of um uh, getting advice about um, tax as well as uh, investments etc etc um so so i think that's one area for financial planners to to think about how they can have that conversation with clients where they they really just um explain the the, the benefits uh of the of of the service that that, that they're receiving um, exactly um, what goes into it, um, what, 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 what the clients are paying for it, and, and just you know, kind of not, not a full on you know one hour um, presentation on it, but, but just keep reminding uh, clients um, on an ongoing benefit basis of the, of, of the, of the costs and benefits of, of advice. And, and hopefully you know co- commercially that'll be that'll be beneficial to, to, to the advice firm in, in the long run because people don't always realize how how many different ways advisors are, are looking out for them.
0: Thank you Matt Jill um, returning to you, you you mentioned that hopefully insurers should be some way down the road in terms of some of these aspects of compliance. Um, we've heard that gap analysis is a good place to start for firms with this new consumer duty. Um, can you tell us what that is and how that might help firms prepare for the new requirements?
1: Sure. I mean, we all know a gap analysis is definitely one method that firms could adopt and it would essentially have them look at at where they are now uh, against the new rules and and where they need to be by 31st of July next year when when the rules come into force. I think the, the challenge sometimes with a gap analysis is it's fine if you're able to articulate what your desired outcomes are at this stage but for some firms particularly the smaller ones that don't have the benefit of um, good sized you know compliance um, internal audit risk and compliance teams that it's far more harder for them to actually articulate looking at these outcomes you know what it is that they where they need to be what data they need to be recording how can they evidence it uh, so another option might be for them to just start with a review or or an audit of of, of where they are now and have either internal or external staff go through um, all parts of distribution and the customer journey and and talk to all staff and and personnel in those parts of the business and and decide really in terms of where are they now, looking at um, the outcomes, what, what what are the gaps or Um, what what are the the, the differences? And then think about, well, what does the outcome actually need? How do we need to get to to that outcome? Um, It's definitely a a challenge for firms, particularly, as as I say, the smaller ones. But one of the key things from the FCE's perspective is that they initially have to concentrate on an implementation plan of which a gap analysis or a review could could form part of that in, in the early days. There is a deadline of the the 31st of October uh, to develop that implementation plan. So it really is a priority for firms at the moment to engage with their management teams to to agree what this looks like. Um, The the plan does need to be agreed by the board um, and senior managers by that time. and, And firms may very well be asked and sampled in a review by the FCA post October uh, to share that plan their board papers their minutes uh, with the FCA so so there's a lot of things for firms to do on top of in in the insurance space all of the prod reporting and um, commitments that have to be made by by the end of of September so the FCA hasn't given firms a lot of time uh, in terms of just giving them three months to get this plan together so if they've put their head in the sand and not really thought about it till now, they've really got to to start work quite quickly. But hopefully, a good number of them will have seen it coming and will realise that um, they've had to put some plans in place. But that's that's the key focus between now um, and and the end of October.
0: Absolutely. And Matt, would you agree that, um, as Jules said, that is something firms need to be focusing on now um, in terms of advisors? I mean, is gap analysis a good place to start? Is there a, um, a better way firms should be kind of sitting down and, and, and approaching this?
2: Yeah, 100%. I think, I think as Jules said, it's it's a bit like um, when you're doing your maths um, homework at, at school and it wasn't enough just to have the answer. You've got to show you're working out as as well. Um, so it's it's not Enough for firms to say, "Well, we've we've got lots of happy clients. You know, we've we've never had a complaint to the ombudsman, or we've never had a claim refused, or stuff like that." That that's all brilliant, but what they also need to do is, as Jill said, is to show they're working out, to show the the plan that they've got to make sure that those good outcomes continue into the into the future. And so, yes, yeah, so it's 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 not just in terms of a. I think it's a continuous gap analysis, really, because no no firm is ever going to deliver perfect outcomes to. To, to every to every client or every customer um, you know kind of uh, all the time. Um, but what it is, I think is about it's a continuous gap analysis, a continuous curiosity about how, how technology is changing, how the market's changing, how maybe things that, that weren't possible in the past are possible now. and, and just looking at people who, who run run firms and are they always engaged in that in that sort of thought process and that, that curiosity? And Jill,
0: um why is it important for firms to consider vulnerable customers in particular while they're getting ready for the new consumer duty to to come into force?
1: Well, I think one of the, the implicit elements of the the whole set of, of outcomes is that you have to not adopt a one-size-fits-all. You have to think about the different types of customers, the different way in which you distribute products to customers, uh, and think about how they're going to be received, what their information needs might be. The, the consultations, the, the policy statement, the finalised guidance, they, they all make reference to customers in vulnerable circumstances and, and stress that the FCA sees its most recent finalised guidance in relation to vulnerable customers last year as still being uh, completely relevant. So, so firms need to kind of look at that guidance alongside their considerations of the 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 consumer duty i mean we all we all know that post covid many people are in a vulnerable circumstance for the first time given the current climate the rising cost of living there's an expectation that uh, more numbers of customers will be affected by vulnerability that that those figures will rise and um, you know they, they, they reached potentially you know I think the, the most recent stat was that, you know, at least 50% of us at any one time can be vulnerable, given the situations that, that people are being faced with at the moment. So it's clearly a, a focus for the FCE and, and still needs to be a focus for firms. They, they need to think about their processes, how they're being delivered. Training of staff is key. There are a whole host of different agencies out there that are able to provide vulnerable customer Training and ensure that there are individuals. In the firm that you know can absolutely deal with those, we, we, we all suffer from from occasions from time to time where we find it ha- hard to handle different people in society just because of how we're feeling. Never mind how how they're feeling, and it's it's important to make sure that firms have got tailored processes and and training um, internally to to handle that. And so the focus on being able to deal with vulnerable customers, I don't think will will ever shift. Um, so it, it is yeah, absolutely, still is a is a focus for firms.
0: As you say, in the current climate, it's, it's absolutely more important than ever that the firms focus on vulnerable customers and there may be an increase in those, those of the public that do find themselves in, in vulnerable circumstances. Um, and, and Matt, the, the Chartered Insurance Institute runs the Public Trust Index every year. Um, can you tell us a bit about this and, and does that reveal anything about the challenges that are, is facing the profession with these new requirements?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so what we do is we, we ask, consumers and, and small businesses about about their general insurance products and and we asked them one, um, how how important certain aspects of of service are you know everything from from price to the kind of relationship they have with the with their insurer um, all the way to you know how quickly claims get get paid um, so we ask them how important these things are and then we ask them how how well their insurer is performing and where where you've got a, a situation where there's there's it's high importance and and not so good in performance then that shows the areas where 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 the most work needs to be done and equally. If we've got an area where there's good performance, but but people rate it as massively important. Then again, that's still an area where where work needs to be done, even though even though the outcomes um, aren't, aren't aren't so bad. Um, and and what we're finding, um, and Jill is absolutely right. Um, in terms of the the. Cost of living crisis. What what we're seeing is that people's priorities are are changing and their concerns are changing. So in particular, uh, around the claims experience, I think in in the good times, people wanted their, their their claim to get paid obviously, and they wanted to be kept in touch and uh, know know about how it was how it was progressing. But I think now that people are realising that times are going to be harder, that that cash is is going to be tighter, um, that they're, they're more concerned now about the speed of the claim, how how quickly the claim gets paid uh, and also about how much control they've got, how much they know and kept informed about how, how the claim's progressing, uh, how much they can sort of carry on with their normal life, how, how much their insurer will help them out with, say, alternative accommodation or alternative um, courtesy cars and things like that so they can carry on their life normally um, while, while the claim's being paid. So this is a dynamic Situation, and but but I think what we're seeing is that on the claim side, um, that there's there's um, a big requirement now around uh, around speed and control over claims, and then and then in the in the buying process, I think again now that, that um, people's wallets are getting getting tighter. They're not so much saying that they want cheaper insurance. I mean, obviously, everyone always wants insurance to be as inexpensive as possible, um, but that's not the main priority. Again, the priority is for people saying they want their their insurance to be underwritten according to to their own risks. So, for example, they, they if if they've got a pre-existing medical condition, they can understand why they pay more. But but if they if they're healthy and they're managing their life well, they don't understand why they have to pay you know three, four, five times as much. Um, so so again, you know. People People again perhaps aren't, aren't as blase about about paying a bit over the odds and knowing for the for the peace of mind and knowing they've got insurance. They they want to know that the their insurance is good value and, and the insurers made an effort to look at their individual risks rather than generic risks. Yes, that is a, a really valuable insight that the, the public trust index
0: provides us, Matt. Jill, taking a kind of more of a wide lens view of, of the, the, the duty overall, do you think these changes will be positive? Uh, for the profession or will they lead to difficulties for firms or how uh, firms serve customers?
1: I think in the short term then absolutely there'll be challenges for industry sectors in particular where product governance and, and fair value and pricing haven't had the regulatory focus that obviously the, the insurance sector has had so there will be significant resource that will be needed for firms to, to demonstrate that they're reasonably monitoring and and measuring the success of their actions in in relation to, to to the outcomes, and I think as we've alluded to throughout this, there will be certain categories of, of firm who will need to apply more resource to this um, than they might otherwise have have done. I think that the threat of FCA's action, which we'll, you know we'll touch on later, in terms of how um, forceful they're going to be to to establish that firms are meeting these outcomes, uh, I think should you know, it's a significant threat from the FCA and I think firms should should take that on board and apply that necessary resource. So in the short term, yeah, I think that it will be undoubtedly a challenge. I think in the long term, medium to long term, I think the, the outcome of this in terms of the improvement, perhaps, in the reputation of the industry overall will be significantly positive. I think it's taken a hit, certainly from the insurance side, uh, in terms of COVID and, and business interruption claims. And you know, still we we see issues of, of of non-financial misconduct in the industry. And I think that anything that helps to shift that uh, to, to a more positive um, reputation um, is 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 fantastic. And I think that these developments certainly will aim to help to do that
0: absolutely and and matt you mentioned earlier that you know it's it's incredibly important firms are prepared they need to show they're working mm-hmm. you know there's no looking mm-hmm. in the back of the book for the answers um, <laughs> um, but yeah. what about those um, those firms that that perhaps don't comply they're not prepared um as, as mm-hmm. the has the um fca um outlined any action that it will take
2: well, yeah, the FCA has, it hasn't has said, be afraid, be very afraid, which is what it said in the past. So that's that's good news. Um, but what the FCA has said is that it is going to be, um, several occasions, it said that it is going to be supervising in a, in a different way uh, and, and in a, a kind of more early intervention um, sort of way. And and I think, again, you know, it, it is that the FCA is not just going to be looking at the, the Waiting for harm to happen before it before it comes in. I think the FCA is going to be looking at firms and saying, are they going through the kind of thought processes that that, that Jill outlined earlier? Um, are they going to be going through that that kind of um, senior management processes? And, and is there evidence of that? And I think you know a few years back uh, on in the in the life and pension side, the FCA did a market study around treatment of long-standing customers. Uh, and at the end of that, some firms did get 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 fined. And I think the firms that didn't get fined weren't perfect. They they had things to, to, to address. Uh, and the firms that did get fined, you know, weren't weren't terrible by any means. A lot of them had fantastic products or, you know, kind of aspects of their proposition were were, were were really, really strong. But I think the difference between the ones that were fined and the ones that weren't fined is that the ones that were fined. Didn't have that that evidence of, of conversations, ongoing conversations happening at senior management to find out what were the issues, what 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 outcomes were consumers experiencing, uh, and 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 how how could they make things better? And I think the regulator sort of said, "Well, the firms that were weren't perfect, but were were identifying problems and trying to address them. You know, that they they were going to get there in the end. But the firms that that weren't looking for problems." we're never going to get there. So, so I think that's that's the action that the FCA will take. If they see a problem and they see a firm that's that's never going to solve the problem, then then it's going to be uh, a lot more interventionist.
0: Yeah, that's certainly an important distinction to, to make. And Jill, the, this really is a, a significant shift in how firms operate. Do you think we could see more reform in the future from the regulator?
1: I, I think that they'll be they'll be reluctant, I think, in the short term, until they've seen how uh the this all kind of pans out. As, as Matt alluded to as, as, as well, the, the, the work that they will do to follow through on this in terms of research, market studies, absolutely going out for um, information to a sample um, in the way that they've, they've surveyed in the past. I think we can expect to see a significant level of that type of, of activity. And if they don't see sufficient progress uh, in the way that clearly they're, they're unhappy with the, the progress that's been made on the on the prod side for the insurance sector, that they will swiftly you know follow through with that. So from this point, at this point in time, I can't foresee in the next say you know two years. But I think if they don't see the improvement that they're, they're, they're expecting to have, then I think we might very well see um, further intervention after that.
0: Absolutely. And um, yeah, there's certainly lots for for firms to consider and and surely, yeah, improvements that need to be made. Um, And Matt, what would your kind of final advice be to, to, you know, financial planning professionals um, and how to get ready for this consumer duty and how to begin to be prepared for it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think... There is an opportunity here. We've, we've talked a lot about the consequences if 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 it, if it doesn't go right. But it, but if this does go right, if firms are focused on outcomes and delivering good outcomes for consumers, I think there is a massive opportunity to to take away a lot of the prescriptive regulation that drives. Um, all, all financial professionals nuts when they have to, you know, report lots of meaningless information to the to, to the regulator or, or go through uh, lots of sort of cottage industry processes of, of, of filling out forms for, for other firms along the, uh, along the, the, the product governance uh, sort of uh, value chain and, and, and things like that. So, so I think there is an opportunity here, particularly for some of the prescriptive rules that came through when we were members of the European Union, uh, for those rules to gradually be be removed if firms um, focus on the outcomes and 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 focus on the on the clients, and and I think ultimately in the long term that there's commercial benefits um, to be had there as well. So but I think my final advice would be where where your instincts are, this is going to be good for my for my clients. You know, follow follow those instincts. And then I think the final piece of advice is you know, kind of um, don't be afraid to, to to pick up some rocks and and find out what's what's crawling underneath the rocks. Um, and and I think that. Advice has to go to professional indemnity insurers as as well. You know, uh, I think for professional indemnity insurers, it, it would be disastrous if they punished firms that are curious about what's going right and what's going wrong. And as soon as firms had evidence of something that was going wrong and then, the, then their premiums uh, go up or, or the exclusions come in, the professional indemnity Insurers, I think, should be encouraged by looking at a firm that's basically sound, but that has identified some some problems. Um, that's that's how life is. That's that's how a good firm should be operating. Uh, and a firm that hasn't identified any any issues, maybe that's maybe that's more of a, a, a question mark. So I think we need a change not just in the way financial services firms comply, but but also with the way they 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 operate to, to their business to business customers.
0: Indeed. And and Jill, similarly, what's the message for the insurance profession on, on how to get to grips with the new consumer duty?
1: I think certainly on the intermediary side, evidencing what firms have done it can, can ha- and has been a, a challenge uh, up until now. So this does present, as Matt says, an opportunity to think about a more uh, risk-based approach, see what the your, your MI is telling you. So really probably do need to review and bolster procedures your processes in relation to mi gathering so that you can adequately review the customer outcomes and absolutely confident that the processes that you've got in place are delivering what, what they need to be and hopefully there will be you know commercial benefits to that at the end of the day as well and and firms will be readily identified as as the good ones to to deal with. So understanding all of that, making sure that you know that you have got processes and and meetings in place, and to be able to kind of understand what you need to do, review it, plan, implement, and there's this is constant cycle. Boards will be required to to um, report on this on an annual basis. They may be sampled by the AFC to produce those those reports. So so there is a bit of a carrot and stick situation uh, going on here which you know in the rounds um should help if firms can just get themselves organized and and do all of that and as matt says the positive outcome is that potentially going forward that you know things might improve and there'll be there will be less regulation
0: and jill um is there any way you could direct our listeners um to kind of online resources at, at the start of their journey and getting ready or, or as they go along the way
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, if they're not getting the support and the information they need in, internally, there's there's a whole host of of summaries of the consumer duty available out there. And everybody obviously all Google uh, incessantly these days, and they'll find lots of information out there. The um, insurers will obviously themselves be providing information. Biba produce guidance, of course. Uh, And then naturally, I have to have a plug for my own profession from a a compliance consultant perspective. So if they have a compliance consultant in-house, then the expectation would be as as we are doing at ICS to produce, you know, a lot of supporting documentation, know uh, on-site help um, with that too. But yeah, I'm sure Matt will be able to, you know, fill in from a CIA perspective what what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Would, is there any way you direct listeners on on further resources for, from the CIA or PFS?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Now the final rules have come out. We're drafted up a, a a good practice guide, which we'll be publishing shortly. But in the meantime, yes, there's um we. Published an updated uh, ethical guide for for small businesses, and again f- covers off many of the areas that that, that we've talked today about. Um, how you can sort of look for look for issues, um, look at look at things from the um, from the client's point of view. How you manage sort of internal processes like internal meetings to to make sure that you you get an insight into all the things that are happening um, within with, within a firm, and people feel comfortable in, in in speaking up and 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 talking about issues and 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 problems. So, so yeah, all that guidance uh, on uh, for ethical um, conduct for, for small firms is is, is there already, uh, and a good practice guide is is coming shortly. So, lots lots of materials there.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, just a huge thank you to you both um, for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it. it's, a, it's a very in depth kind of review that's coming in, and and there's a lot to know. But hopefully, that's been a, a huge help to our listeners. So, so, thank thank you, Jill, and thank you, Matt, for for joining us today. No, it
1: is pleasure.
0: Thank you. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of CII Radio. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or you can follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.